Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we are still talking A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from 1428 Elm Street. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory details of these unfortunate teens in the hopes that their grisly ends are just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there is one person I can trust that if someone calls my sister a nutcase in the locker room, she'll shove that guy up against the locker. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I'm good. I, I, I brought some pizza. Oh, thank Here, you. Here's a slice. Oh, I love meatball. Wait a second. There's a face in this. <laughs> you brought me a face pizza. I brought you a little slice of soul pizza. <laughs> it is it is a cool effect. It is also very gross. And they have a, an obsession with a color of yellow in this movie that I find personally disturbing. It's a little like, I think the best description would be infected sore yellow. <laughs> yes, I think. Oddly enough, it's a very goopy movie, but Freddy appears to be very dry. Like he's <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm done being moist in this fucking makeup. <laughs> this is dry from now on. <laughs> but that's okay. All the moisture will be made up in other areas, but I don't want to alarm you right now, Gina. We are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. She is a writer. She's a journalist. She's a Twitter badass. And she has a new book called Dead Blondes and Bad Mothers, Monstrosity, Patriarchy, and the Fear of Female Power. It is available for pre-order now and will be released on August 13th. She's also a returning champion to Kill by Kill, the one and only Sadie Doyle. How are you doing, Sadie? I am doing really well. How are you? I'm excellent, and I'm better now that you are here. Now, the last time you joined us, it was for one of the weirdest Friday the 13th. Yes. I can't say that this is the weirdest nightmare in Elm Street, but I think you may have picked the weirdest part. <laughs> yeah, I kind of pick the part where it's like the plot disappears and it's 100% just a philosophical debate about like what's more powerful dream monsters or karate and, <laughs> and, and yet no one even brings Jim Cotta into the conversation because yeah. I think Jim Cotta would really go over big in this film <laughs> I just I love it because it was 100% it feels like an artifact of the Ninja Turtles era where there's just like a 45 year old man in a suit being like what's gonna bring the teens into this picture karate <laughs> <laughs> at one point in this field not to jump ahead mm -hmm. but at one point Alice is practicing nunchucks in front of a mirror as one does mm -hmm. and I won't be the first person on the internet to point out that whoever is operating those nunchucks is not the actress playing Alice no. what but, yeah I did not know it's very hard to tell because the wig matches her so perfectly <laughs> and also this person appears to be much broader shouldered uh, almost as if they are a ninja turtle and they've painted their hands white 
<laughs> all this all this scene needs a splinter in the background giving nonsensical advice. This last half hour gets real silly. <laughs> really silly. And and it gets really silly and, and it seems to forget its own mythos, mm. which which is you know, I, I think at some point they're just like, ah, fuck it. We don't have to be consistent. No one's gonna care. No one knows how Freddy works. And no one no. decided how Freddy works. And be, no one knows how result. Alice works. I, 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 I can't figure out what she's first. It was, yeah, I'm collecting them. Like, okay, so she's not collecting their souls, but she's collecting their personalities, which is that I, I'm not a particularly deeply philosophical person, but is that not kind of the same thing? Well, um, she collects their skills, but it's really hard to tell because, like, at one point, she can just sort of suddenly do karate. She's Neo in the Matrix. But, like, the, her friend whose only skill is lifting weights, like, there's never a point where she's called on to lift a lot of weights in the movie. <laughs> One of her friends has the skill of, like, having asthma, and she doesn't, like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the, the acquired skill of asthma. Yes. Um, this is the one thing I, I might be a contrarian here. This is the one element of this that I genuinely like that, mm-hmm. that she's a bit of a time bomb that when she goes to sleep, it's not just her that's at risk. It's her friends because mm-hmm. without her being asleep, uh, Freddie is unable to get to other dreamers, which again, Someone needs to figure out how fucking Freddy works. Mm -hmm. But again, the movie was written in seven days. So I like that part. And I could almost like the, uh, the gaining of skills from those who have passed on because she got her skill of pulling people into her dreams from Kristen, but none of the skills of the other people who have died were ever transferred to Kristen. So somehow this is just an, Alice thing because she's heard of the dream master rhyme. I I'm so fucking confused. That's her dream mastery. I think that like, you know, Freud famously knew that if people tell you their dreams, you automatically become able to do their jobs. Like that was Freud's <laughs> yes, Freud, Freud, Freud's famous nunchuck theory. <laughs> I think if people talked about Freud and nunchucks more often, more people would be interested in Freudian mm-hmm. psychotherapy <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it would be a bigger deal. It's just wieners and nunchucks, like all the way down. To Freud, so. <laughs> Sadie, before we get into the film any deeper, though, we have a tradition here on the podcast. We always like to ask our guests, you know, what was the first time you ever encountered a nightmare in Elm Street movie? What was it? How old were you? What were the circumstances behind it all? This was, I think I was like 13 years old and my mother allowed me to watch the first one. And my mother had this strategy, I'm going to call it with scary movies, where she'd watch them first and then she'd tell me right when somebody was about to die just in case I wanted to look away. And I never did. So she was she was she was attempting to be some sort of human shield or intelligence yes. operation. Just like this oh. is about to happen to Johnny Depp, you might want to look away. And it just you know it was it was a really <laughs> frustrating experience because there was no. Where, where was she for Johnny Depp's behavior in real life? I Why was she telling us to look away before we all fell in love with him I as know. a drunk pirate? <laughs> 
Well, did we all fall in love with him as a drunk pirate? Well, no, we didn't all, but but a significant amount of people at least here for a while. We smiled politely at him. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed like a comeback story for. I feel like we all sort of like emotionally hooked up with Johnny Depp as a drunk pirate, and then we like woke up and we're like, "Man, 2004 was a dark time." (laughs) (laughs) Listen, here's what people need to remember, especially young people: we were all supposed to die in Y2K, (laughs) and when we didn't. Like we got, we went a little crazy, like shit went sideways. We, you know, made the internet a thing and somehow elected a Bush, another one fucking president, even though we didn't want it at all. Like all sorts of crap happened and we just let it because we didn't know how to respond anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the only way you explain the clothing choices of the 2000s is that we all (laughs) thought we were going to (laughs) die. Here is what I have learned from the Twitter account that just posts uh, movie premiere uh, uh, photos. And that is people did not know how to dress for movie premieres pretty much until 2006. And then someone got it into their head. You should show up dressed up to this fucking thing, not just whatever you've been wearing that day. Yeah. Nobody nobody had tailors. Nobody wore bras. (laughs) (laughs) No. They just they they rolled out of their Hollywood homes and just sauntered up and whatever outfit they happened to have draped themselves in. And it's usually too much denim going in too many directions. And we've listen, we've lost the plot quite like a nightmare in Elm Street for the Dream Master. So let's get into it. Um, who's still left alive in the movie at this point? So so many fucking people because unlike almost any nightmare in Elm street or Friday the 13th movie, no one dies in this fucking thing. And there's been only four dead bodies so far. Um, So we pick up the action with Sheila just having died due to soul suckage um, (laughs) from, from Freddie. And as she is wheeled away, um, we, we look at all of the extras uh, populating this high school and they are dying to be noticed. Anyone who is even tangentially within frame looks like a curious werewolf. It is <laughs> so odd. Everyone has the spikiest hair and the weirdest look on their face. I feel like we really have to focus on Rick though, because he's like the king of spiky hair. I feel really bad. For Rick, because like he's clearly like he's wearing the Judd Nelson Breakfast Club outfit, and somebody <laughs> told him, "Do that to your hair." That's what the kids are doing, <laughs> and you know, like he really clearly could be Brian Austin Green with a different set of choices. Like he'd be married yeah. to Megan Fox right now had he not got along with this like <laughs> you're the guy who dies from yes. karate. <laughs> But as it is, it's, like he self-publishes books on Kabbalah now. This was the last movie. Well, he was you know, in. You listen, know. everyone's got a side hustle. Uh, yeah, he does kind of have a Judd Nelson thing going on. Obviously, someone in the New Line costuming department took in a matinee from Heather's because he's oh, kind of got yeah. a Christian Slater cosplay thing happening Ooh, as well. Yeah, that's happening a lot. Yeah, mixed right. mixed with like he's. He's also in full black a lot of the time as if he's a a roadie for Love and Rockets. I don't, it's a goth, but uh, a very 
presentable goth. He's a karate golf. <laughs> He's a karate goth. Yes. <laughs> like, right. just, he really is. He's just like, well, we'll sort of dress him like the crow. Like maybe he's Brandon Lee, but also like less vinyl crow. Yeah, he's he's like you know the most normalist, normal nine hundred two one zero looking guy you've ever seen. They were just crow and breathable fabrics. Yes, (laughs) yeah. So Alice freaks out. Dangerous. Ricky's cool. He's got hair products. We should leave. He's dangerously cool and coolly dangerous. Um, Alice freaks out in this in this sequence when she realizes that she brought Sheila into her dream. And this is where we kind of get that idea that if she doesn't fall asleep, she can keep all of her friends safe. So she's kind of like a time bomb and you never know when she's going to go off. And again, that's the part I like. Here's what I don't like. She goes crying off into the hallway and Rick's like, listen, I'll take care of this. And he runs into the school hallway after her. and listen, we're not all Tom Cruise. We don't all look good running on screen. Then again, we don't all look like a three-year-old chasing after a loose dog in a park. (laughs) This is the wildest fucking run I've ever seen on this show. It's like they told him, quick, sprint like you're running with a full diaper. And then he did it. Well, it like it displays the trench coat in its full glory. I can't figure out why he's sprinting because they're siblings. <laughs> I don't know either. And they live in a house together. And like presumably it's not like, oh no, this girl's gonna run out of my life. You know, like you're gonna <laughs> like she's 20 yards away. You could just yeah. walk away or we could cut. <laughs> we could just cut away. But for some reason, like, all right, we only got 90 minutes in this movie. We got to extend it somehow. I know I won't cut that scene of Rick wildly running like he's being chased by a bear. (laughs) Flailing toward his little sister. Yeah, he's doing the rom-com run through an airport run. (laughs) Just Just, uh, arms and legs flapping everywhere like Goofy falling off a cliff. (laughs) We cut to the Crave Inn, which still to this day is a very rough pun for me, uh, where Dan arrives, uh, apparently to be oblivious to a woman's emotional state and order gum. (laughs) Why why would you go to a diner to order gum? And he just goes gum. And she just like there's several selections and she just hands him a random like, don't you go? I would like spearmint. He just oh. orders gum and she gives it. And he's oh. like, okay, here's oh, a quarter. I mean, you, do you have any movies you watch where someone goes into a bar and says, give me a beer? <laughs> I guess, but they, they didn't, they, they couldn't afford, they couldn't have, this is not working on a juicy fruit budget here. Come on. <laughs> what is working on a juicy fruit? Maybe, budget? maybe fruit stripe. They, they probably could have gotten fruit stripe to, to, to give them a product endorsement. I, I will say that in terms, while no one understands how Freddie works, I do enjoy that the one twist that they've given this film is that Alice is the portal and Freddie has to use her to get at other people as opposed to shit like I'm the son of a thousand maniacs and ghost nuns or exploding birds. Like this doesn't have any of that. There's no dying by the power of love in this movie. It's they're just like Freddie kills people And he gets to them in his dream. And the one twist here is that she's the portal to get the other people in the dream. 
It's just that the whole fucking movie should be through Kristen and Kristen should be played by Patricia Arquette. And then I would like this movie more. Well, that's the thing. I mean, all the characters, particularly Alice, seem to ignore that this is all Kristen's fault. Like everything that happens to her, like like her brother dies, all of her friends die. Eventually in the next movie, spoiler, her boyfriend dies. So everybody she loves, with the possible exception of drunk dad, I, I don't think we see him again after this. Um, you know, Everybody in her life that she cares about dies. And it is all Kristen's fault. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just she just never she just kind of like well i guess this is how my life's gonna be now <laughs> i've got i've got the supernatural ability to bring a child a dead child killer in, into my friend's dreams and you know, have them get brutally murdered and she's a creepy <laughs> yeah, kid you know. like i feel like i'm supposed to feel that she's like an ethereal ophelia type but like when she's just like hanging out watching videotapes of her dead friends i just i get the feeling that Kristen has a dark undertow like she has an identity crisis that is absolutely <laughs> for sure that's that's reflected not to put too fine a point on it in the mirror gag where as she goes through the process of the film she slowly uh takes off pictures of her and her friends to reveal her true self looking back at her which will then be reflected in how she kills freddy so there is some thought to how this is going to go i just wish they had gone spookier or something (laughs) to plus this up or had gone the original plan which is pay patricia arquette money and bring her in because it's not like the actress playing alice is bad at this it just doesn't make any sense that a good half of this movie someone else is the protagonist Mm -hmm. it it just doesn't it doesn't work for me and there's a lot of things in here that do that's just the one that doesn't yeah this is the last third of this movie i'm just like "Eh, i don't know about this (laughs) (laughs) i mean there there's there's high points and low points. Let's talk. Uh, I mean, briefly. it does. It does have my. It does have my favorite kill in the series. The whole series. I will. I will. I will give it that. But other than that, I'm just kind of like. Eh. We will get there. So let's start with uh, an extreme close-up of New Line Cinema president Robert Shea in his fourth cameo in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And is there a particular reason he has insisted that every time he is photographed, it's in the least attractive light possible? Is he so desperate for exposure that he doesn't care how he's photographed on screen? Because I don't think an extreme close-up is doing him any favors. He's like a an anti-Alfred Hitchcock. There are a like, couple, there are a couple like really close-up shots of people's faces in this and it all reminds me of of david lee roth's videos where <laughs> the the really grotesque people would get up way up in the camera and it'd be kind of yes. like a bird's eye not a bird's eye a fisheye lens and mm-hmm. and they would just look at you said to see every pore on their face and it was just so unpleasant every pore in their face in a world that did not have high definition now add high definition to it and you're like ooh. <laughs> There's some things there I do not want to see. There's no such thing as a good adult in this series. They're all no. sociopaths or just completely incompetent. You know, like he's standing there outlining what a dream master is and still somehow he manages to not add that much to the dream master. You know, now, I, so I feel like I he may att- have. No, go on, Sadie. Oh, no. 
No, that's that's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yes, they are all untrustworthy. That is that is a grand theme of the entire franchise. The other thing that is brought up here is is this lecture about how dreams are a reflection of history, which isn't something that I was taught in school. Now, I might not have gone to the fanciest of high schools here in Southern California, but I do remember in high school when the boys and girls were separated and each group was given a, a different lecture about the symbolism of dreams and how to control them. This is something we all did, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I think that I, I took notes, obviously, on this lecture, and it was throughout history there have been dreams. There's a good gate and a bad gate, and there's a dream master. And on the chalkboard, he's written <laughs> Aristotle. Yeah, it, it, is, it is hilarious that this is... This is posed as if, oh, yes, this is the thing that everybody knows. <laughs> he, he's so over having to say this for the 30th time yes. because this is a constant part of his lecture series. The other element of this is that while she's in class, Dan and Rick are having a very meaningful conversation in the boys' locker room. And this it is such a stark contrast to the moist sexiness of Freddy's Revenge. Here, everyone is wearing a lot of clothes, and those who aren't should put on a lot of clothes very quickly. <laughs> they are, is, we are, they've we are, tried desperately are, to pull the sexy out of this franchise. This is sadly ballless. I was going to say we we generally try to not be a body shaming podcast, but 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 yeah, I think that you're right that they they were trying to overcorrect for part two yes. because this was three four years after that, and I and I think people were just starting to figure out oh that's what that movie was about, <laughs> and 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 then you know whoever made this was like well no yeah, no we we need this to be straight as an arrow. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's all teenage boys just wearing like eight hoodies a piece. Like, <laughs> and the know. coach is like, come on, we got to get going. It's like, what sport are they playing where they're all wearing these very thick hoodies? Yeah. Like, what organized sport does hoodies involve? Like they're changing out of their street hoodies into their seven other gym hoodies. Like it's just like a snowshoeing class or something. I don't know. And they're tri- they're triple A they're they're triple A league hoodies. So here's something I didn't quite remember uh, until this rewatch, and that is a connection to Friday the Thirteenth because of all the things that we talked about. Uh, over the course of our, you know, deep dive into the Friday the 13th movies, one thing became very clear, and that is the franchise was focused on people pooping. So in this sequence, Rick decides to go off to a, a stall, take a dump, and fall asleep while doing it. I mean, who among us? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't want, you guys do not have to participate in it. I don't generally enjoy having to go outside the realm of my own house to uh, to defecate. Uh, I, of course, w- would do it if I have to, but it's not how I choose to. Here's the one thing I am when that is happening. Hyper vigilant, and I don't fall asleep while doing it. <laughs> Here's the other thing. If I did, 
I don't think my immediate dream would be about cheerleaders encouraging me to poop and then my sister is involved. Oh, I felt like that was drawn from life. Like, honestly, <laughs> that, was, that was a little bit too personal where it's like, I'm pooping and cheerleaders come in to laugh at my wedding and then I look up <laughs> and there's my sister that I just did a weird rom-com run to like 20 minutes ago. And like, I think that there's, there's somebody's like shoveling through some, some deeply accreted psychosexual stuff. <laughs> and like, you know, movies written in seven days, somebody's high and he's just like, well, that's my actual dream. Let's, how do I transfer out of this? Karate. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, you start with this nightmare with a V.C. Andrews spin, and then we get this fun little mirror gag with a burned Kristen. Before there's an elevator ride, and there's a lot of nightmares being cycled through here. And then he ends up in the smokiest dojo I've ever seen in my life. It, it looks a little bit like a Prince video. It does. <laughs> It looks a lot like a Prince video. Like you just yeah. expect the smoke to clear and like this Prince to like, you know, rise out of a clawfoot tub, like this staring very meaningfully at Dan, which is probably, which is probably a more likely dream for people to have than sitting on the toilet and cheerleaders coming in. Just, you know, Prince is there in a clawfoot tub staring meaningfully at you. <laughs> Oh my yeah, god. I think it's a very sensual dojo. I think you're right. Like it kind of looks like he's, you know, learned the ways of martial arts like in a love motel or something. Like there's a heart-shaped tub somewhere in the back of the set. You know that room, you know that room just stinks of incense. Just, just stinks of it. I know. That hot wherever that hot tub is, it hasn't been cleaned in a while. And even though a lot of chemicals have been put into it, it still kind of smells like feet. That's, I mean. Yeah, that's a nightmare. Oh. <laughs> the curtains flowing in the background. Just the whole, I mean, just a reminder. This movie costs $13 million. And I'm assuming they ran out of it before they decided, hey, you know that 22-year-old teenager we have with no formal martial arts training? He should fight an invisible man. Well, here's the, the thing that, that, that cracks me up is when you compare yeah. the, fir the first Nightmare on Elm Street, which is still the most effective one, sure. and, you, and you see just how basic the nightmares these characters had. I mean, Tina was literally just chased around her backyard. Yeah. And and now you've got these really <laughs> elaborate set pieces where people are getting sucked through movie theater screens and this it's endless hallways and it's just so much more like just you know everything's a huge like like very elaborate event. It, it yeah. is. And I I'm assuming it takes a lot more money to suck somebody through a movie screen and that is why it is so painfully weird to watch a guy flail at nothing for yes. what feels like five fucking minutes like this is a movie he i really genuinely like <laughs> no they could not hire a fight coordinator for rick and it kind of like to be honest maybe this is meant to indicate to us that rick is bad at karate because he also knocks the glove off his invisible opponent and it's like you'll never get me now <laughs> You're invisible. There's no way you could run over there and pick up that club. 
and I would have no idea whether or not you did it. I mean, yeah. this is this is not a common nightmare. What's again, Gina is, is is right about this. In the first Nightmare on Elm Street, we have your feet sink into the ground, a shadowy figure, his arms elongate in an unnatural way. Right, it, it, it you're just drowning. Feel- it's like they actually asked people, what are your most common nightmares? Right. And people said, oh, I'm I'm trying to run and I can't move or I'm drowning, which because those are very common nightmares. I don't think anybody's ever dreamed. Well, I was in a karate match with an invisible man <laughs> or or I, I you know, got sucked through a movie screen in a theater that was showing reefer madness <laughs> and also hairspray. And uh, yeah, well, there's there's Tate. There's a reason behind that all. They're they're all Reefer Madness was the first movie that New Line Cinema redistributed. Uh and uh the only reason that things like hairspray happened was because of uh the success of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um so I have one question before we move on, because Rick just gets that glove torpedoed into his chest. It's a it's a pretty anticlimactic death, honestly. I that's the thing like it's either really awesome like someone being turned into a cockroach or having their soul sucked out or it's like uh here's a glove in your chest I was an invisible man I, I mean he should have been you know, there should have been like at least like you know a heart ripped out or 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 something or yes. like or like Freddie just literally just punching his head off his body I mean I know <laughs> I, I know they never really the later movies never really got that gory and it was like a, you know, kind of, a, and when they did, it was kind of almost like a, a an unreal sort of gore. But still, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, this whole scene, like I said, it was, it was very, it just, it was very disappointing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel, and they do later in this very movie, they, they blow a hole through Freddy and you see organs and stuff. I feel like somebody was like, no, not Rick. We can't really kill Rick. The kids love him. He's eight subcultures at once and he could do karate. You know, like they didn't want to traumatize. <laughs> The audience with a painful death for Rick, which is why he gets to come back and give one more incredibly obnoxious fake Christian Bale line reading right after he dies. You know, like it's really, you know, they, the, somebody like just watched this movie being made and their only command was just more Rick, more Rick, more Rick. Um, I have only one more question about this sequence and it's not about the overabundance of throw pillows. It is, what would Nunchuck Freud think of this dream? Because he's both a martial arts enthusiast and someone who believes that, you know, your your psyche is, is reflected in your dream state and that, that it determines your personality type. I don't know. I think, you know, I like, think like, what, what would it say about Nunchuck Jung. <laughs> that's true. I I thought Jung used sides, but you know, that's just me. Uh, that's for... <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Philosophers. <laughs> I'm going to workshop that. I'm going to come up with a great joke. Um, let's let's cut to um, uh, a familiar uh, scene uh, in Friday, or not Friday, in Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and that's Evergreen Cemetery in Riverside, California. The, 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 busiest, the, the busiest neighborhood in town. <laughs> that's right. They're, they're, people are dying to get in. Here but they're, where, they're, where their motto is, hope to see folks again real soon. <laughs> Can we discuss... Uh, how Alice's friends console her though, because Meathead walks up to her and is like, are you okay? And her answer is 
Not really. I mean, it's her brother's funeral. It's her brother's <laughs> funeral. It's like, um, pizza? Like, what can we do here to <laughs> yeah. raise your spirits? Yeah, you seem glum. What's up? You know, like, there's there's really just, like, not a lot of emotional support going on in these teens' lives. I think that's why they have such tormented dream lives, but... <laughs> Debbie is sulking and dressed like she's attending her father's third wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's more dressed up than Dan, who has come to a funeral in fucking jeans. (laughs) Jeans, Gina. (laughs) Dungarees to the burial of a friend. Oh God! Those are his morning jeans. He's a casual guy, <laughs> you know. That's right. He pressed those jeans before he left the house. He's going to be sitting shiva in acid wash. <laughs> um, uh, Rick pops out of his 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 coffin uh, in one of Alice's famous daydreams, and he mimics the big bopper, which is something <laughs> yes. we all did in 1988. Yeah, like you can kind of, it's kind of ironic because the minute he pops out of that coffin is the minute his career dies. You know, like (laughs) it's just, it's such an obnoxious line reading. Like it's just such a manic comic. Here's, you know, this incredibly like deep cuts baby boomer reference that we're expecting the teens in 1988 to find hilarious. And then, you know... There's like a last monologue about how it was all a joke. Remember me? I'm sort of the comic relief, but not really because nobody ever laughed at this. (laughs) (laughs) And and in the end, I'm, and in the end, I'm still dead. Yes. Yes. Everyone else is supposed to be crying and there's dad supposedly drunk and she's wearing his karate headband Mm -hmm. around her fist. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. And she's wearing cool sunglasses like she's uh, touring with Guns N' Roses on the side. Yeah. Um, It is unfortunate that Rick is buried in a very oversized coat on his body. (laughs) Uh, Someone should have given him the appropriate suit coat size. But I guess if you're burying it in the ground, like why give him his best coat? You're not going to waste, you know, a a, a perfectly good suit jacket. Uh, His hair is glorious, though. Like yeah. things would have gone much differently for me if I had that cool of hair in 1988. I'm just, I'm just going to come out and say it. <laughs> yeah. Even the other characters comment on it. Like, I think that that's the thing is that maybe that's one of Alice's skills. I think her hair gets substantially better after her brother dies, you know, <laughs> like it's everything. I was going to say they should, there should have been a scene where she was like kind of like 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 in the like combing her hair in the mirror and then like cuts back she's got hair like Steve from Stranger Things. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. She's like, finally, I understand how to get some volume on this thing. Some lift. Um well, if we're in a volume contest, no one is outdoing Debbie, who is somewhere in between Club MTV from the neck down and Headbangers Ball from the neck up. Yeah, she looks like a she looks like a pop doll of herself. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why wear a wig when you can have a wig on a wig on a wig? Yeah, again, it's morning hair. Like, she showed up on like full Melrose Place character, you know. (laughs) Like, that's her fanciest 
hair. And I think that she, um, she allows us to visit like maybe the most glorious dialogue exchange in the whole movie, which is I didn't spend hours working out just to let some night stalker beat me. It'll take more than bench presses to beat him, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which is a very late addition to her character at no point previous to this. Like, she didn't say I I missed out on doing trig homework because I was working out. Yeah. She wa- she was watching Dynasty. Why is it all of a sudden now she's some sort of workout maniac? Yeah. This like is- Sheila mentions there's more to life than exercise once. What we don't know is that like her entire home life is that like her bedroom is a gym and she just turns on the Sinead O'Connor and goes to town weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all she does. <laughs> I will say that I love that Sinead O'Connor song. It is mm. a really good song. It it may be my favorite of her oeuvre. Uh, I played it a lot. And K-Rock here in Los Angeles played it nonstop. I especially like that it has a uh, rap in the break by MC Light, mm. who I was the only person in my high school who was aware of who MC Light was at all. And I could finally go, yeah, MC Light, she's on that song in the middle of the Sinead O'Connor song. That was the highlight of 1988 for me. Everything else was Boy Scout camps and uh, me hitting trash cans with my mother's van. Mm. (laughs) I think that Uh, that's... It it wasn't a good year. (laughs) That's beautiful. That's like a short story that you put in the middle of this podcast. (laughs) Yes, uh, all my short stories are boring and have to do with my terrible high school years. Um, Dan drives a truck that I've only seen Australian bullies drive in Ozploitation movies. Uh, I don't know where they got that truck or the grill that goes on the front of it. It's obscenely muscular for no apparent benefit. All, all it's missing is a, is a gas grass or ass sticker on the back. So here's the scenario going forward. Uh, We have three characters left here and they have a plan. They're all going to convene at Debbie's house uh, to figure out how to kill a dream murderer. And so everyone is going. So Dan is going to meet Alice at the diner for some reason. And they're both going to drive to Debbie's house. Meanwhile, Debbie has decided to work out in her garage to Sinead O'Connor and really pump some iron. And by pump some iron, I mean two 10-pound weights that she is going to bench press. I mean, I couldn't do much better. Yeah. <laughs> but if there's more to life than working out, there's definitely more to life than working out with 20 pounds worth of bench press yeah. weight. You, you, you got, like, put on two more fibers on there. Just, to, just for visual appeal. Also, I'm not entirely sure if lifting weights is the best way to keep yourself from falling asleep. (laughs) I'm just going to lay flat on my back and just do this hard physical labor for a little while. That'll keep me awake. (laughs) This rhythmic music plays in the background. There's no way I will slip into delightful slumber. Yeah. Well, Um, I feel like once again, just as like the 
the moral of Rick's big karate scene was that he was never that good at karate. Like Debbie, our weightlifter, immediately fails at lifting weights. <laughs> like I think that Alice's plan of absorbing the skills of all her friends kind of run to ground on the idea that like none of her friends are. Yeah, good she at never got anything from Debbie, did she? No. Uh, she's never asked to bench press the smallest, least weight bearing part of Freddy yeah. Krueger. In any part, I think of the she finale. picks up various it's like, objects, like, you know, as many of us do, but that's and, Debbie's spirit in her. Whereas there's a lot of karate uh, in the form of gymnastic flipping oh, wow. happening. Um, but we'll get to that. <laughs> in, in the meantime, we have the soul pizza scene, which in, in my head, if you had quizzed me before rewatching this section of the film, I would have told you, oh, that's in part five. That's what I thought too. I, I I thought it was part five. But no, it is it is here. Uh well, the wait, faces you skipped are her, immaculately sculpted. You skipped you skipped over her getting sucked into the movie screen, which is Oh no, we're not there yet. She has the I thought oh, she yeah, I guess no, that she, does happen. Yeah, first. no, she gets sucked into the old timey diner. Oh but yeah, with the right. extremely lengthy scene of her in the movie theater so she runs to the diner dan isn't there then she runs from culver city to south pasadena something that happens in 2017's la la land nearly beat for beat so if you're looking for that la la land dream master connection that's it uh you cannot run between those two places uh and if you can you're a lot sweatier than alice is uh, I've been to uh, that particular theater, the Rialto. Uh, the outside is crumbling. Um, and the last film I saw there was Grindhouse. So we talked about how that uh, Reefer Madness was uh, New Line's first movie. So that's why that's happening. Also, posters include Hairspray and Prison, uh, the director's first film. I masterpiece allowed- that was. Uh, <laughs> it does have... Pretty cool effects from uh, John Carl Buechler, director of Friday the 13th, part seven. And that's about it. It's full of uh, cartoon lightning and Michigas. And that's about it. It got him this gig. And uh, this gig got him uh, the adventures of Ford Fairlane. So I think it all worked out perfectly. (laughs) Academy Award winning adventures of Ford Fairlane. (laughs) The launching pad for many, many many careers so i was never allowed on the balcony of the rialto because i was told it would collapse so it was very weird to watch people be in the balcony for this sequence as gina noted uh she's sucked into the movie screen a full decade uh before donnie darko did it um so i, I think i think it would have been funny if like because there are there are other people in the theater and i for a split second i thought they were like other like earlier victims but I was like now they're just randos in the movie theater which would have make sense because in the if you believe how dream logic works every single person that appears in your dream you've seen them at some point in your life it's actually it's actually pretty cool like your brain is un- incapable of coming up with an entirely new face <laughs> So it would have made more sense for these to be like earlier characters that already moved, you know, had already moved on to the next into the next universe. But no, they're just some regular people. They are regular people when she walks into the movie theater. Once she gets sucked in and looks back out into the movie theater, it's Kristen Ooh. and Joey. Are they? Okay, I thought so. So it's both. 
Okay. It is both of those things. I honestly would have um, thought it was funny if when when her soda is getting like sucked out of the cup, mm-hmm. if it just sort of like drenched the person <laughs> sitting in front of her. <laughs> They're just sitting there like straight face, like, well, you know, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> what did I expect in the balcony of the Rialto watching? Reaper madness. <laughs> yeah. Like this is par for the course. But I was unaware that this movie was some sort of polemic against capitalism that Freddie is a socialist, uh, that she is going to be stuck in this dead-end job for the rest of her life. Uh, So this film's very woke in a financial sense. And uh, so look for it to chastise you on Twitter real soon. And somehow like 40 years years in the future, Alice's voice is going going to be tweaked to be a little deeper. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Well, it's from breathing in all those French fries. She also just becomes Kate McKinnon. Like, to the point that I paused it and looked it up. <laughs> I, I was just like, Kate McKinnon's character work started a lot earlier than I thought it did. But <laughs> it's, just, it's just her, you know, facing her future at this job where she becomes, like, one of America's most beloved comedy stars. <laughs> but I do, I want to commend the soul food sequence because it's like, I watch a lot of movies that are pretty gory and I'm pretty inured to this stuff. And especially, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. Because so much of it is so silly, I don't often get scared. I physically like had to get up from my computer and walk around after he eats Rick's head. That was a gross special effect. It really yeah. is. It is disgusting. And it's, you know, proof positive to the power of good, you know, physical special yeah. effects that it still works, even though you know it's just, you know, some meatball, you know, dipped yeah. in goo before like, he sticks it can, in his mouth. But it, it also works because it really is like a the sound effect is just like real bad, like it's real wet. Yeah, but it's also just because you can tell that that's a man with a mouthful of like plastic slime and like stuff you could conceivably use as lube, and it's just it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever it is, it should not be ingested, and yet there it goes Ooh. straight in his mouth. Also, the puncturing of the meatball with the face in it is very visceral. Like, it looks real. However they did it, I think they probably they probably shot it in reverse. And this is, this particular section of the movie is very screaming Mad George heavy. Because it's full of slimy bodies and grossness and very tight close-up. And it works. It still works. Let's cut back to Debbie. What's she doing? Um, it's a close up of her boobs. Back to Alice. Um, uh, we uh, there's Sadie uh, pulling on on the uh, bomb. I'm sorry, um, I poured coffee. I didn't realize how how loud all sure. of Oh my no no no, that's fine, Sadie. No, okay. No, no no no. I'm like Freddie. I'm just making it, wet noises in the hopes of like affecting those. <laughs> Alice is stuck in some sort of Groundhog Day sitch. Uh, where she's constantly running to Dan, getting into Dan's exploitation bully truck and driving off. And I assume that that what happens is uh, a, a callback to a crystal-like brand tagline, <laughs> what happens next. Because Freddie appears, uh, apparently Debbie has fallen asleep at some point, uh, and while pumping very little iron, <laughs> Freddie then appears over her uh, while she's pumping said iron, and she says, I don't believe in you. And he says, oh, that's okay. Because I, I believe right. in you. 
Just and, like, just like, Sam. yeah, which is also, this is like, uh, historically, this is a, a saying and sentiment attributed to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you believe in God because God <laughs> believes in you. And the same is true of Freddy Krueger. Oh, is that why this thing ends in a nonsensical church yeah, all of a sudden? Because now Freddy's Christ? <laughs> oh, it's all coming into focus. Yes, once upon a time. In my in my brief stand up career, I had a whole bit about uh, crystal lights. Uh, I believe in crystal light because I believe in me. And what <laughs> would happen if I stopped believing in crystal light? Would I cease to exist? <laughs> it went over like gangbusters. Not as well as the the part where I would talk about uh, if you put pizza on a bagel, you can have pizza anytime. But I called that, you know, it was really my food type five. It worked out great, as you can see by my abundant stand-up career that I'm still doing to this day. By your, oh, your, wait. your fourth I, I ne- stopped. Your fourth Netflix comedy mm-hmm. special. <laughs> That's right. Oh yeah. Um let's well, not get No, a lot okay, of Freddie's so. singers at this point, again, it's like you can tell this was written in a really short time because he repeats the Roach Motel tagline. He yeah. just, at, at a certain point, you get the sense that like Freddie has spent a lot of time, like he's been recently unemployed. He's seen a lot of daytime TV. <laughs> he's just like straight up recycling like gags from the golden girls and commercials he's seen because he's run out of the energy to like come up with new things just sitting on a couch he's taken off that red and green (laughs) sweater he's pouring a lot of coffee (laughs) and watching tv debbie's cockroach transformation is genuinely Mm. gross this is it's super gross it's gross it's very effective and yet she is not nearly as scared as she should be i mean she looked a little a little confused, um, mm. a little a little perturbed. But I, I am terrified of, of insects, and and I think uh, like Freddie's a little Freddie's a little Pennywise in in this uh, in this ver- this uh, in, in this version. He yeah. you know he's kind of more working directly on things that you are afraid of. Um, yeah, before it was a little more vague. Now he's just kind of honing right in on you know. Uh, uh, the girl the i've already forgotten the name of the girl the, who had the asthma attack you know sheila. She's, sheila she's afraid of having of getting an asthma attack debbie is afraid of bugs and he just kind of hones right on that well i'm afraid of bugs and i think that if my arms snapped and just you know little you nasty hairy feelers started coming out i would just basically my heart <laughs> would just kind of like just explode right yeah. there you know, you know, instant brain aneurysm. You you don't have to, you know, go all the way with the giant roach motel and all. I'm just I'm Yeah, at that point, it's like death comes as a relief. I do think, though, that some of the subdued nature of her reaction may be just like reflecting on her life and her circumstances, because it truly does prove to be the case that she cannot bench press her way out of this one. I think that <laughs> <laughs> she's... See, why, when, this is why I don't bother exercising, because... <laughs> In the end, it doesn't matter. Like, We're all yeah. going to die. Some of us by turning into yeah, giant cockroaches. Like, yeah, you're just going to put a face full of goo and, and rip off your own visage and pull back and you still have legs, <laughs> but your face is a fucking yeah. cockroach already. And then another cockroach just seems to join you mm-hmm. out of nowhere. It's just because she had a little friend from yeah. the end, though. Like she was about to integrate into cockroach no. society. She was like headed towards her new life. That's what makes this especially tragic. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She had every everything was coming out up yeah. Debbie. Uh and then then this happened. Uh but this 
her death uh, isn't the end because Alice is racing to try to prevent this from happening. Sadly, uh, she and Dan get into a very effective car accident where they seem to hit Freddie and then their car crumples in a pre-digital way that is really cool. And then it turns out they were just asleep at the wheel and they drove into a tree. Is that what happened? I I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they, they are asleep the whole time. Are they not? Yes, but they're also behind the wheel. So we've gotten, we've gotten into. This is, this is what gets a little, a, a little, you know, uh, off kilter. And like, I don't think you're all are, you know, making much of a concerted effort to, to remain consistent with your universe no. here. Pretty cool. Like little time loop dream would wake up and then just be in that car. You know, they weren't sleep driving. But they kind of were because the mechanics of the universe require you to die in whatever way you died in your dream. I think yeah. that I think that you know Freddie can make you sleep drive. Freddie is like this is an you know. well. Freddie did make Freddie did make a character in Dream Warriors sleepwalk mm-hmm. like a puppet and then pass through a fucking door <laughs> like a genie. So there's again because no one understands how Freddie works, and so as a result of this accident. Um, they get into a very green ambulance and uh, Dan is being constantly threatened with the possibility of being put under uh, to the point where Alice knocks a paramedics of syringe of drugs out of his hand and goes, he's allergic. And which, this is simply accepted. Which being uh, not to be too much of a Neil deGrasse Tyson-esque nitpicker, but, but right. Being put under anesthesia is you're not asleep. You're 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 unconscious. It's two different things. Like you don't dream when you're when you when you are under anesthetic. Yeah, if anything, yeah. if anything, I think he would be safe there. But he's not safe there because when he is finally put under after many shots of Alice's feet <laughs> it's, in a sequence it, we like to call that's too <laughs> many shots of a person's feet for it to just be <laughs> shots of a person's feet. He, he, Dan Dan wakes up in the Pee Wee Herman nightmare dream sequence where his his his, uh, his bicycle is being yes. operated on. Yeah. <laughs> I believe so. Yes, <laughs> they they are shuffled into some sort of um, funhouse tunnel, uh, which is sure dizzying. But when the smoke seems to remain in one place, you kind of get the idea. Oh, it's just yeah. the camera that's turning around, uh, but. You know, what are you going to do? Like you ran out of money. Not every scene could be solved with fighting and an invisible yeah, this maniac. This is like one of those sequences where you really get a varying amount of senses of like how much time Freddie has on his hands. Because in this one, he full on like emerges in Michael Jackson pose. Like he's got jazz hands. He's <laughs> <laughs> in like a weird sort of cocky thing. And he immediately says, out for a spin, lovebirds, in a manner that implies like he knew that his main goal here was to get them to spin. He designed the whole scene here yeah. <laughs> around like both his physicality, his big entrance, and just like getting them to do a verb that he got a quip ready for, you know? So this is one of those things where like sometimes Freddie just chases you around your lawn or he, you know, sucks you into your bed. Sometimes he hones in on your inner insecurities and your fear that your sister is going to come into the bathroom and laugh at your penis with a bunch of cheerleaders. Sometimes <laughs> Freddie is just a frustrated off-Broadway director 
and he wants like a full-on musical sequence <laughs> before he kills you. He wants there to be like an element of modern dance to your death. You know? Yeah, somehow he's he's binged season one yes. of, of Verdon Fosse and it's just it's it's made its way into his life. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Alice uh, takes a bunch of drugs and then dresses in a very puffy leather coat. Oh uh, my puts god! On a scene. studded belt twice. This, I I I don't know why she felt she had to dress up like a Jersey mall chick to fight Freddy. <laughs> She's got. She should be jingling. She's got so much like. This metal on her from the little thing she ties around her leg, and then she's got the two spiked bracelets. Um, but she's—we uh, don't hear any of that when she's taking all the metric ton of fucking pictures off of of her of her mirror, checking the clock, uh, putting a studded wristlet on, and then shoving all the shit off of her dresser onto the floor, and then she's ready to go. She's gone Super Saiyan. Uh, into her dream <laughs> she says fucking a which is not exactly give me some sugar baby or groovy <laughs> we're not quite up to that level um dan of course is dreaming uh they get stuck in that crazy tunnel together uh and then she manages to to find herself in that church <laughs> she and she does this by doing a forward <laughs> kick through the mirror um so there's something that happened um and then she finds herself in this gigantic church set which is obviously they spent a cool three quarters of a million dollars on this set because it's two levels and to let you know definitively it's a church there's two elements one a giant stained glass window and two Put your hands together and welcome straight from their tour of Europe, Asia, and the subcontinent, the Dead These Children Choir. I can't believe they, like, they really bother me because it's just like they clearly know how to defeat Freddy. Like at some point they're going to start chanting it at her. But it's just like this. It's their only thing is to just like stand up there and taunt her. They're, it's, they're unhelpful. This this crew, you're either, you know, some sort of P.E. class where they're constantly jumping rope or they're singing shit at you when they should be telling you how to kill Freddy. Because there's about a half dozen ways to fucking do it. No one understands how Freddy works. So the first thing that Alice tries is (laughs) karate. And we get a good three to four solid minutes of her just wailing on the stuntman dressed like Freddy. (laughs) Like, no. he's never been felled by karate. There are three ways to date that we have seen Freddy be, be defeated. One, you stop believing him in him and he turns into a star child. Two, the power of heteronormative love. Three, Catholicism. None of this is available to us in this circumstance. And so... First, Alice tries karate for what seems like an endless period of time until finally she reaches into a wall, pulls out a a, a giant electrical cord, attaches it to Sheila's uh, bug noise maker and (laughs) Ghostbusters, Freddy, 
She mm-hmm. she totally pulls a Ghostbusters on him, and he has a giant hole in his chest, and he's like, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I, I fucking I'm eternal. <laughs> if you're immortal, yeah, what are we fucking doing here? Like, you can't just have him say, "I'm immortal," right before you kill yeah. him. Come on, movie. And he clearly isn't because you know it took it took you know flaming dog <laughs> urine to to bring him back to life. <laughs> I mean, have some humility, Freddy Krueger. I did not go through uh, Catholic, you know, catechism or or anything like that. So I'm assuming there's something that you're taught about flaming dog pee that allows yeah, you. I'm to just stuck on like which one of her friends because I'm trying to follow the logic of this movie that she's going to try to use all of the skills of all of her friends. Which one of her friends had the skill of lasers? You know, like, why is why is she suddenly an electrician? Why does she know what the wiring is in the wall of this church? I have to assume that somebody died at some point. Like, yeah, that's in a cut scene. She was like hanging out with her friend, Joe, the electrician, and he, too, died in a dream. He's go, he just goes to like he just goes to like Penco Tech or something and is learning how to be a, <laughs> learning how to rewire houses. So during the sequence mm-hmm. uh, where he says, I can't possibly be killed. Uh, the ghost choir starts talking. They they, they do the Dream yeah. Master Lord's Prayer rhyme, which this is not a thing. You can't make it the Lord's Prayer and then change yeah. the words with like the Dream Master shit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Dream Master. We all know what that is. It's too familiar of a rhyme scheme. You have to you have to come up with something different, but no, this movie doesn't have that kind of time. It was yeah. written in seven well, I have days. To think, like this is like where I don't think anyone enjoys <laughs> these dead children, because you know if it were me and I were fighting for my life and a bunch of seven year olds were just like one two friends coming for you, you're gonna die, you're gonna die. I would you know I would not really appreciate that. I would want them to help me. But also, Freddie immediately is like, "You can't kill me. I'm immortal." And they're like, "Yes, you can." Pick up that mirror, have a plan, couldn't be clearer. Like they just <laughs> start chanting. <laughs> like, where the fuck were you five minutes ago? Why am I wailing on this asshole? Yes. You could have just said, aim a mirror is- at him. Aim a mirror aim a mirror at him so little baby hands can, can <laughs> pop out of his body and tear him apart. <laughs> I mean, it's cool to look at and everything. Don't get me wrong. I love going down his mouth and through his gullet where we see a bunch of people screaming and squirming in his stomach and everything uh, and having little arms. Mm-hmm. This movie is obsessed with extra limbs between this and Debbie's death. There's a lot of extra limbs happening in this movie. That's somebody's <laughs> fetish. Screaming man, George. Uh, just for everyone's edification, when he rip o- when the little arms rip open his chest and we see people start to uh, push their way out of it, that was a gigantic 20-foot uh, chest that they made of Freddy. And one of the people trying to push their way through is Linnea Quigley. Um, I know this because she often tells a story of filming this where they were trying to push their way through and the whole fucking chest fell over. Oh, nearly geez. killing all of them so that's something that happened there's that. yeah if, if anybody asks you mm. which one she is she's the one where you can see her boobs yeah that's how people that's identify me quickly. at bars everyone yeah, so. right there <laughs> <laughs> and so these little arms start tearing him apart so what kills him is him what ki- so is he 
why does the mirror kill him? Yeah, I, 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 I if you put a mirror in Evil's yeah. face, it'll overwhelm him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and all right, I guess. And he just pops open like the Ark of the Covenant, and a bunch of happy ghosts pop out. And oh, I, I, I love that. I love that because, like, if you watch it with the the closed captioning on, it's really great because the ghosts are saying <laughs> "thank you, goodbye, wee," <laughs> like they're 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 like it kind of just sounds like sort of murmuring and like you know vague childlike cheering, but apparently they are yeah. saying things. Yeah, they're happy little sprites. I think this is a case um, for nunchuck Fred, though. I, I yeah, like he's done. The karate, which signifies like doing <laughs> battle with your internal obstacles. But in the end, the only thing that can truly destroy him is him. Like he he must look at himself mm-hmm. in the mirror and face up to himself and say, you know, Freddie, no matter what you tell yourself, your true passion is for choreography. And yet here you are eating teenagers on pizzas and his <laughs> his own disappointment with the man <laughs> he's become ultimately tears him apart. I think that there's like there's a deep message in this movie. It's just like it's like 25 karate montages in that you get there. <laughs> yeah. And yet not nearly enough karate montages. Uh, it's a hard place to be. So then, uh, you know, we she wakes up out of her dream and they both uh, go to the MacArthur uh, Park fountain. Um, out the, by the MacArthur hall. Park? Uh, no, wait, wait. Well, this is. This is out uh, just past uh, Burbank. It's by Griffith Park. I'm sorry, not MacArthur oh, Park. Okay. Uh, it's by Griffith Park. It's uh, right by the uh, Children's Zoo uh, where Travel Town is. Um, it's a nice little spot. It's by uh, Los Feliz, uh, which is really Los Feliz, but every dumbass here just says Los Feliz. Uh, so that's it. Uh, that's that's the Dream Master, everyone. Um, and so before we go, where are we have one more tradition and that is choose your own death venture of all the deaths portrayed in this section of the movie. If you were forced to die that way, which one you would you choose and why up for bid are um, dr- dream poop your way into an invisible man karate fight or uh, turn into a cockroach, rip your own face off and be crushed to death inside of a roach motel. Or have tiny little soul hands uh, pull you apart <laughs> until happy child ghosts uh, come out your neck. And so, Sadie, I uh, you to, as our I guest. I hate to do the obvious choice. Ghost. What do you say? But I am going to have to say that um, I'm going to take the Invisible Man fight because I think I'm very uncoordinated. I would fall over right away and i just get stabbed and i think that there's like a more there's a there's more sadism in these other deaths <laughs> as opposed to just like being very bad at fighting someone which is how i am most likely to go out in life uh so gina what say you well as much as i i like the the cockroach kill uh i mean i do believe that the the both the series overall and the kills tend to go downhill from this point on. Mm-hmm. Um, I that's not a way I particularly want to go though. <laughs> um, so I I, I kind of like the idea of, of you know being torn apart and little child souls happily make their way to heaven. 
that's just a, that's a, that's a sort of you know peaceful upbeat way to go so i i think i will actually take 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 uh freddie's demise for this movie yeah i th- i think i'm gonna as much as as appealing as uh fighting an invisible maniac with karate <laughs> is because the throw pillars throw pillows are great um i am going to go with be torn apart by tiny hands <laughs> Because somewhere deep inside of me is Linnea Quigley. And I just like the, it's like, I just like the sound of that. Uh, and so that just about does it. Uh, but before we go, Sadie, uh, where can people find out well, more about Well, I am on Twitter like you're way too much of the time. And, and that's, that's just my name, out. Sadie Doyle. Um, and I publish pretty regularly at Medium and Dame Magazine. But if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, Twitter is probably sadly the best way to do that. You'll go and you'll immediately regret it. And that way, you know, we'll know each other. No, I'm into it. I'm into it 100%. And anyone who's listening to this show would be into it too. Uh, and when does your book come out and, and what is it about? Oh, that is going to be out. It's going to be out um, August 13th on Hitchcock's birthday. So it's about... Um, monsters and about the idea that women have historically always been cast as monsters in men's stories um as a means of justifying you know like our society's control of women and their sexuality and their reproductive agency but it's also just it's about a lot a lot a lot of horror movies i watched i think every horror movie (laughs) on netflix twice and then went to you know went to amazon and there's like some deep cuts in there um there's you know roger corman movies that maybe nobody has ever seen but that i've decided are like foundational to western culture so um so that'll be out um august 13th from novel house and hopefully excellent i can't wait i pre-ordered it i will be reading it on my european vacation uh, so do it today. Uh, Gina, where can people find out more about you on these here internets? Well, I have my own website under my name at GinaRadcliffe.com where I write predominantly about movies, sometimes old television and pop culture in general. Uh, I am also a writer for The Spool. Um, that's thespool.net. Again, writing mostly about movies and television. And I, too, spend way more time than is healthy, than is healthy on Twitter. You can find me under porcelain 72 do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, if you want to speak to us, Twitter's the easiest way to do it at Kill by Killpot. You have something longer than 280 characters, which I can't imagine you do, but let's say it happens. Email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram, Kill by Kill Podcast. We have the Facebook page and group. Just type in Kill by Kill and we will pop up and we can get into it there. And that just about does it um, on uh, Patreon. We just released an episode uh, where we talk uh, very in depth about an incredibly, incredibly silly movie, um, and it it, uh, it it broke my mind. It's called <laughs> Doppelganger, and it's fucking nuts. And then we learned that the lead actress in it was seventeen mm. years old when she filmed it, and it just got gross from there. Uh, it's full of goopy monsters. Uh, Dennis Christopher is in it. And it's fucking nuts is what it is. <laughs> so please sign up for Patreon. Help us pay for this goofy podcast. And you get bonus episodes like that. I promise you that one is worth your while. Uh, and so that just about does it. Uh, what's coming up next week? 
We're not sure. Uh, again, I'm going to be on vacation. So we're either going to have a very special episode. We may release a special episode from the Patreon archives uh, that we enjoy very much, uh, but I'm not, it's, it's all going to be a surprise. Uh, but that is what's happening in the future. And of course, beyond that, uh, we're going to dip into the bassinet uh, for the dream child in which three people die in a movie that's longer than 90 minutes. And it features a lot of mazes by the director of Predator 2. <laughs> Have I grabbed you yet? It's directed by the guy who directed Predator 2. Everyone. I can't wait. <laughs> so you got that to look forward to. Uh, but that's when that happens. So for myself, for Gina, and for Sadie, bye-bye, everybody. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. A Nightmare on Elm Street is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill's logos were created by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.